The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. I'd like to talk about anxiety, worry, and fear. This is, uh, I think, something that is probably in the air a lot these days, uh, given the way things are going out in the world. So I thought I'd talk about it from the perspective of how we can explore it with mindfulness, what these states actually are and how we can explore them with mindfulness and how we can learn something about ourselves, about our experience through exploring them. So first I'd like to um, start by just kind of looking at these three states themselves, anxiety, worry, and fear. There's many different flavors of this kind of state of mind. Um, You know, I'll name a few. Well, there's anxiety, worry, fear, dread, terror. There's there's, um, just a, a range, kind of a range from the mild to the extreme. Even within fear, I think that the term of fear itself can, can encompass a, a wide range of, of emotional states. But the, I looked up the dictionary definitions of these um, to kind of clarify in my mind, in particular, the distinctions between anxiety, worry, and fear. And fear is, is the broadest definition, but in general, the definition is connected with... Um, uh, an agitation of mind or um, a sense of threat uh, around um, actual or perceived danger. And so fear often has to do with a sense of safety or security, um, that there's a sense of that being threatened, whether it's health or life being threatened. I think this also can come about when a sense of self is threatened, of who I am, you know, we, we might um, have a sense of fear around uh, not... Uh, one of the greatest uh, places of fear is said to be public speaking. So that would not be a fear necessarily of safety or of life, but of self-perception uh, of self. How will these people see me? You know, how will I come across? So that that kind of, um, there can be a fear around identity as well as our uh, life, health, safety. Um, Then anxiety, I like this definition actually. Disturbance of mind regarding uncertainty. Um, This is very, very appropriate. Um, definition, I think. And this is a lot. I think this happens to us a lot. Uh, this sense of, you know, what will become of me? Um, there's a, uh, a sutta that kind of describes a series of thoughts that go through the mind when one is attending unwisely, it's said. And this is the series around future thoughts. Shall I be in the future? Shall I not be in the future? What shall I be in the future? How shall I be in the future? Having been what? What shall I become in the future? I think this gives you a flavor of the... That's the anxiety. I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the definition of anxiety there. It's a sense of agitation, disturbance of mind about the future. I think in general, all of these, anxiety, fear, worry, this sense of um, dread or terror even, there may, be, there may be a sense of something in the present moment that we are afraid of or anxious about, but generally it's, it's often a projection into the future. There's a sense of something in the future that we're not sure about. And that, that brings up this fear, this anxiety, this worry. Worry, the dictionary definition says, generally includes excessive thinking and pondering. 
And again, you know, this is like, yeah, that's what worry is. You know, the mind kind of goes spinning around, you know, not able to let something go. It turns on it. Anxiety can be more of a feeling in the body. Um, But worry tends to be more mental. So exploring these kinds of states, I want to touch into a couple of things. One, um, different, different ways that these states can come about. Um, the first thing I want to touch on is what I might call primal fear, you know, a kind of a fear that's a direct result of an immediately threatening situation. You know, kind of the, you know, you're in a, you're, you're, you're in a car and somebody hits you from the side and you find yourself spinning you know, in, in front of uh, the traffic or, or you're walking down a trail and there's a rattlesnake right in front of you and it starts rattling. I mean, just, you know, you're, you're kind of immediately, uh, the sense of, of danger, the sense of fear can come up. That is one way uh, that we experience fear. But in my experience, when that kind of situation comes up, generally it puts you right into the moment. You know, you are present when that kind of thing happens. Um, so that's not so much the kind of fear that I'm going to address today. Um, it's, I think, a very natural, immediate uh, response to a threatening situation that the, the mind kind of becomes really hyper-alert and uh, aware of what's going on. So that's that's not the kind of fear that I'm going to talk about today. I'm, I think what I'm t- going to talk about more today is what we might call optional fear. <laughs> so one way that that anxiety, fear, worry comes about is through thinking. I think this is a, a kind of a main way that it comes about. We we start thinking into the future. As I said a little while ago, these states are primarily connected with ideas about the future, thinking about the future. So I want to just explore for a moment what the future is as a way of beginning to unravel what these states of mind, what's happening in these states of mind. So what happens... uh, with the future, or what happens in our minds around the future, is that we imagine something will happen. So we don't know what's going to happen in the future. We have no idea what's going to happen in the future, but we imagine something will happen in the future. And we either like it or we don't like it. We think it will be threatening or not. It will be to our advantage or not. Uh, and we may have a response to that imagination. So a lot of our anxiety, our worry, our fear has to do with this projection of our mind to create some kind of future scenario. So with with fear and worry, I think typically we might create some kind of future scenario and um, Dis, you know, decide or, or react to, well, I'm not going to like that. If that happens, if that person says that thing to me, that's not going to be good and, you know, it's going to be a disaster for my life. And so we get afraid when we think about that situation unfolding. With anxiety, it's more like we have a response or reaction to not being able to conceive of what the future might bring. So we, you know, we, we look into the future and we have no idea what it will bring. And we get agitated about that because we like to have some notion of what's going to happen to us. I remember when I left for the Peace Corps, um, I was flying to a country in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, Vanuatu. And as we flew out from San Francisco, I realized, I felt like my life was ending because I realized I had no idea what was coming, you know. And that, that was all I could imagine, is that my life would end, you know. Because <laughs> I couldn't envision where I'd be living or what it would look like or anything. So, you know, it just was like this big blank. 
Now, to my credit, I wasn't terribly anxious about it, but it's just like it did. It kind of felt like, well, probably what's going to happen is the plane is going to crash. You know, <laughs> that's that's that was the way my mind worked because I just I could not envision that it that where I would end up. So that I think is what anxiety is about: that projecting into the future and not being able to envision something. But these other kinds, you know, where we're actually bringing up something in our minds, creating an image in our minds, and then reacting to it. Um, You know, what's happening actually is in our minds, in the present moment, we're just constructing something. We're just creating some idea in our heads in, in the present moment. And then we're getting afraid of it. We're worrying about it. There's a story of a a painter who painted a picture of a tiger on his canvas and spent you know was right up close to it and painting this picture of this tiger and and you know when he was done he stepped back and looked at the tiger and it was so real he got afraid and ran away <laughs> that's what we do with our minds we create in our minds a scenario and then get afraid of it that's, a, that's actually a lot of how our fear and worry works. Is that we are actually not responding to anything actually out in the world, but we're responding to some construction from our own minds. In my own experience, one of the things I found myself doing in, um, you know, imagining possible scenarios is, is like, well, kind of, it's in the realm of anxiety, I think, this, this particular scenario, is that, so not being able to envision what would happen, I, I try to create all the possible scenarios I can even think of and then figure out how I'd respond to each one. I spent a lot of time doing that. It's such a waste of time. I found, I found, you know, most of the time, the vast majority of the time, none of the scenarios I came up with even came close to happening. And if, even if they did, you know, even if a scenario I envisioned happened, my imagined response where it's like I was in control and I knew exactly what I was going to say and how I would respond didn't happen. So, you know, we don't have a lot of... <laughs> we, that, that, that sense of, you know, trying to anticipate all possible outcomes, which is the way my mind tended to work, I really so quickly saw, you know, this is just not, not a helpful way to use our mental energy. So thoughts actually can generate the fear. So that the, the fear can come up out of thoughts. We create scenarios in the future and then react to them, very much like that tiger, the painting of the tiger. Then there is a kind of fear that can come up or anxiety or worry that can come up out of bodily experience. So... um, you know, certain, so fear can result from, you know, kind of states of mind. Anxiety can worry from, come up from states of mind. Not necessarily from thoughts around a state of mind, but just kind of like maybe in your childhood there was a, a situation where, you know, you, you get into a particular um, situation and things are unpredictable or threatening. And so as a child, you've learned a particular feeling of that situation. And then as an adult, if you move into situations that seem kind of similar, even if you're not thinking about them, if you, you, they seem kind of similar, it, it can kind of put you into that place where it's like, oh, things are unpredictable, things are threatening here. And then that sense of fear can come up. Even if, if there's nothing tangible out there that is actually creating that threatening or unpredictable situation. 
You know, if you had a, a parent that was abusive, for instance, you know, um, you know, just the coming into the room and an expression on their face might have led you to know this is, this is a dangerous situation. And as you get to be an adult, if somebody, you know, has an expression on their face or maybe a body type of the person that, you, um, that your, your parent was, that same kind of um, reaction can happen, almost at the pre-verbal level. So not necessarily out of thought, but just kind of out of the feeling of the situation. So that, that kind of um, you know, situation can be a little more, it's a kind of a deeper level of fear to work with. And I'll talk about working with fear in a moment. I think that kind of fear can, I mean, there's different kinds of responses that we can have to fear. You know, with with the, the mental kind of, the fear that comes out of mental thought, thinking, I think a lot of the times we try to think our way out of it because thinking has got us into it and we think that think will, thinking will be able to work our way out of it. Other responses, um, you know, we might end up, I think particularly in, this, in the situation of that kind of pre-verbal kind of fear, we might go into a state of kind of hopelessness or depression or um, you know, it's like there's nothing I can do about this kind of feeling. So that that can be one of the responses to this kind of fear that comes up from this pre-verbal kind of level. Or we may spring into some kind of action, you know, trying to control or manipulate our environment um, to, to, to manage our fear. And then there's one other kind of fear that I want to mention that is um, what we can call perhaps a skillful kind of fear. A kind of fear that is, um, you know, looking at what we're doing and how we're acting and recognizing if I act in this way, this might cause harm, this might cause suffering, this might cause damage to me or to somebody else. And so there can be kind of a sense of, oh, I don't want to go there that can be felt almost like a kind of a, a fear, a, a mild kind of, no, no, just don't want to go there. You know, that, that sense of fear of, of um, well, the consequences are of doing something unskillful. That is understood to be a skillful kind of emotion to, to kind of, we can, um, through our... Uh, the way our minds work, we can kind of see. I mean, you know, earlier I was talking about how we project into the future um, and create scenarios in the future. And this actually, you know, there's a difference. I want to kind of highlight the difference between what might be a kind of a planning or a, a sense of seeing, because our minds will kind of naturally look into the future and see what is going to happen. There's a difference between that and the kind of mind running amok or, you know, kind of, you know, jumping on that and like a wild horse envisioning all the, you know, different possible outcomes and how it's going to be so horrible or how it's going to be so great or whatever. Just the, the mind will quickly jump onto that natural ability that we have to kind of, um, you know, see possible outcomes. So this, um, this kind of skillful kind of fear is, results from a, a similar kind of the mind seeing the possible um, scenarios, you know. So you, know, you, might, you might see in your mind, you might have a sense of being, being, being ready to say something to somebody. But kind of seeing in advance, recognizing, oh, this is what I'm about to say, and kind of knowing where that person is. We might, we might see just in the... You know, the running of that scenario in our mind. What will it be? How will it be if I say this thing? And we might have kind of get a sense of, oh, you know, that just doesn't feel right. You know, that feels like it might be harmful. So, um, you know, that, that sense of the mind being able to look 
and see what the consequences are. It's not that we want to cut that off completely. I mean, we don't want to just completely just live in the present without noticing, looking into the future. But there's a difference, and I think uh, we all know this difference in our own mind between the kind of running amok with it and the more skillful looking at, is this helpful, is this not helpful? So beginning to make that kind of distinction in your own mind around your thoughts, especially in daily life, that's really helpful. But very much of our fear, our anxiety, our worry has to do with a kind of a response either to thoughts or to bodily experience that is not really so helpful. And so beginning to, as we begin to kind of make this distinction between what may be helpful um, looking into the future is and what this kind of mind just kind of taking off on a gallop feels like, we can start to turn our attention towards this experience and explore it. This is um, a mindfulness meditation center, and so, of course, mindfulness is what I'm going to suggest as a way to work with, with these states of mind. And the, the basic instruction for this is to turn towards these states of mind. When you feel fearful, worried, anxious, see if you can let go of what in the environment you are worried about, fearful about, anxious about, and turn towards the feeling of the fear, the anxiety, the worry itself. That's kind of the basic instruction. Not to neither repress the feeling, nor to act on it. As I said a little while ago, we typically will tend to act on our fear. You know, we'll, we'll you know, try to either control or manipulate the environment to try to change things. We might run away. There's kind of a fight or flight mechanism that acts around fear. With anxiety, we might kind of just get stuck and hamstrung, you know, or, or just try to, you know, do things like, well, what can I control, you know, right here, right now that, that will help me to feel better. So we, if, when we act out of those emotions where we tend to perpetuate them because we are... It's essentially we are believing the ground out of which they're springing and we're fertilizing that soil by acting out of those states of mind. And so with fear, with anxiety, with worry, it can be a leap of faith in a way to say, okay, I'm not going to act on this fear right now. Instead, I'm going to turn to meet the feeling of fear. What does it feel like in the body? This is a great place to explore um, this experience. Partly because so much of our um, fear and anxiety does, whether it's created out of thoughts or whether it's created out of the bodily feeling, there's often a lot of thinking that happens around fear. We may, you know, even if it's created out of a bodily feeling, you know, from that pre-verbal kind of experience. Once that fear is there, we often start thinking about it. And so the, um, uh, one of the main tools in mindfulness is to see if we can let go of the thoughts around an emotion and turn towards the feeling. What does it feel like in the body to feel free fear? There's tightness, contraction in the stomach, perhaps a contraction in the throat, moisture, sweating on the palms... What's actually going on? Now you may, I mean, again, if it's this primal kind of fear, you're probably not going to, you know, do this. You're just going to be responding in the moment to what's happening. Um, this, is, this is kind of the exploration when we see, actually, you know, this fear that I have, you know, we can, we can do a little bit of mental exploration. You know, is this fear actually something that is directly threatening right now? Or is it much more mental? Is there a lot more of this mental agitation in the mind? And what I'd like to propose is that it's almost always helpful to let go of mental agitation in favor of meeting the moment. Just meeting what is actually here and now. So letting, coming into the body, we let go we can can learn how to let go of the thoughts that are churning 
And those thoughts, again, tend to be kind of nourishment for the fear. So once the fear has come up, we think about it. We think about, well, what can I do? How am I going to do it? This is going to be so bad, and maybe I should get away from here. And that itself is adding to the fear. So if we can let go of the thoughts that are nourishing the fear, it tends to create a situation where the fear can kind of... um, we can we can begin to look at whether the fear is actually responding to something in our minds or is it actually responding to something that we perhaps do need to take care of so you know it's not that we just don't act i think that's a lot of something i'd like to say uh, frequently here that um, because often this teaching on mindfulness turned towards uh, the feeling. It sounds like we, we don't do anything. What this does for us, this turning towards our feelings of fear, of anxiety, it gives us the possibility to be a little bit more clear about what's happening. So we can begin to see, well, where is this coming from? You know, Is it just the painted tiger in my mind that I'm running away from? Is it just some construction in my mind that I think this is going to happen in the future? If that's what's happening, it's really helpful to acknowledge that there's, there's nothing in particular out there to be afraid of. And there may be times when, um, in coming into the body and seeing what's happening, we see, no, you know, actually there's something I need to do here. I need to leave the room right now. I need to take some action. So having the clarity without all of the spinning thoughts makes it more clear what a skillful action would be. So I'm not saying that we should just, you know, sit in the middle of our fear and never take action. But so much of our fear, of our anxiety, of our worry, is we don't need to act on it. So beginning to explore that distinction for yourself. So some other things to explore, particularly if you have a kind of a habitual pattern around anxiety or fear or worry, if this comes up for you a lot. Um, one thing that, so if it seems like it's either, you know, it's like it's almost always like under the surface somewhere, that, that sense of anxiety. And this can, this can happen for us in stretches of time or over longer periods of time, you know, maybe for a period of, of months or um, weeks or months, we might have a period in which there's some situation where there's just that kind of baseline level of anxiety. It feels like it's always there. So one good thing to explore in that kind of situation is when it is not there, because it's not always there. To actually recognize in your experience when it goes away. Highlight that for yourself. Highlight the fact that, oh, it's not there right now. It's, 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 not, um, it's not present at this moment. That's a really, really helpful exploration because it begins to poke holes in this notion that it is a continuous phenomenon in our minds. It's like, I'm always anxious right now. Well, if you actually look, you're not always anxious. So recognizing when it goes away, when it's not there. Then um, when it is present, when it is um, apparent to you, I also find it interesting to explore when I can be, you know, kind of present with it and have a little space around it. It's kind of like, oh yeah, okay, yep, there's some anxiety or there's some fear. You know, so kind of the sense of presence with it without being so uh, reactive to it, without being so resistant or, or reactive, fearful of our fear or uh, angry about our fear. So if we can... Um, Notice when it's present and it's kind of like, well, it's okay. Yeah, I see this anxiety, but it feels kind of more almost manageable and I have a sense of what it feels like in the body. Um, You know, there's kind of like there's a little space around that state. So noticing that experience and then also noticing when it feels like you're just really caught by it. 
the distinction between those two is also helpful to notice. Because as we explore with mindfulness more and more, we do get this sense of spaciousness around an experience. It's not that mindfulness always makes an experience go away, but it makes it more possible to live with without being, feeling like we're being run by that feeling. You know, so if we have a state of anxiety um, and we're not able to be aware of it and have the spaciousness around it, we may find ourselves just kind of running all over the place, doing all kinds of things, responding out of that anxiety. So the more we practice mindfulness, the more we can find this sense of spaciousness and just like, okay, yep, what's happening right now is I'm feeling a little bit of anxiety and I don't have to uh, go running all over the place about this. I can just, you know, I can just feel this right now. And it will pass. I can, I can tell this will pass. And then notice when you are caught by it and when it feels like you are being impelled to act out of it. So those three things are really helpful to notice around a state, kind of a habitual pattern of anxiety, worry, or fear. Whether it's present or absent. And when it's present, whether there's a spaciousness around it or you're caught by it. And it doesn't have to be that any of those three are a problem. It's just, this is what your mind is doing with this right now. Can you be uh, accepting of the fact that your mind is caught by anxiety right now? Sometimes we can't change it, you know? We can just be aware that we're caught. Other times the recognition that we're caught can help to open us up to be a little more spacious around it. Sometimes, sometimes not. Over time, it does seem to become more and more easeful. And over time, at least in my experience, there's less and less of the, of the mind like creating those problems, creating those scenarios at, uh, at which to be afraid, from, with which to be afraid. So I want to... Um, I have some other things I could say about working with fear. But one of the things I want to point to, and then hopefully leave a little bit of time for discussion, is that, you know, these um, the states of fear, of anxiety, particularly I think of anxiety, point to a truth. Um, you know, they point a lot around fear can have to do with the sense that things are not stable. You know, things are going to go away. Things are going to change. That's some of what our fear's about. Or things... Um, um, you know, that we won't have control over a situation. That's sometimes what our fear is about. That we're not going to be able to control a situation. We're going to be out of control. And with anxiety, you know, the sense of mental disturbance because of uncertainty. Uncertainty is a truth. It is an absolute truth of life. Unreliability, uncertainty, impermanence is a truth. The fact that we uh, don't actually have control over everything in our environment, that's a truth. And so, you know, these states of mind are responding to truth. And I think that may be part of what their hook is, in a way. You know, that, um, you know, it's, it's true that things are uncertain. And so, you know, of course I'm going to be agitated about that. Well, the of course is not, is, is where, the of course I'm going to be agitated about that is where this practice can begin to kind of shift our perspective a little bit. That, um, we can become more uh, open to the fact that things are uncertain. 
and not so reactive to that. that we can be balanced around the fact that things are uncertain. It's kind of my, my sense of um, the way this practice has worked for me a lot is that the more I practice mindfulness in whatever situation I'm in, the more um, tools I have in the moment to respond to whatever situation comes up. Kind of like, kind of got a broad stance, you know, equanimity is kind of a broad stance. It's like whatever comes, it's like, oh, okay, this is what's happening, so here's a response. Um, not a reaction so much, but more a response. So the, um, the kind of shift is um, that we kind of connect, we can connect to the deep truth of the situation, the uncertainty in the case of, of anxiety, and acknowledge that we don't know, but that with our practice we can begin to learn how to meet the unknown, or learn how to meet what we think of as unknown. Because there isn't actually an unknown, because you know, every moment something is arising and we're meeting it. Something comes up and we're meeting it. And the, the best thing that we can do for ourselves is to learn how to meet what comes up in the moment. So this practice of mindfulness gives us this tool, gives us these skills. And we start to see that rather than being anxious, the best thing that we can, because anxiety takes us out of the present moment. It takes us away from cultivating this tool of balance. And so we begin to see that cultivating this tool of a balanced mind gives us what we need to meet whatever comes. Another, another um, way I think that this, these emotions point to a truth is, is around the fear around our own health and safety. That, um, um, you know, that, that we, we all have this deep wish to be safe. And the, um, the fear is kind of a sense of, I'm not going to be safe. And of course, you know, the, it, it seems very natural to us, you know, because we don't envision any other way of being. It seems very natural to us that, of course, in not knowing whether I'm going to be safe, that fear would be the result. So that wish for safety, that kind of, it's a, it's a very deep wish in all of us, that wish for safety. And it's a wholesome wish. It's actually the wish for our own well-being. That's the wish of metta, of kindness, of, of loving kindness towards ourselves, that we wish for our own safety. And so what I've seen in my own experience, at one, at one point I, I saw this so clearly, um, I was in a well, I could tell the whole story, I guess. I've got, I think I've got enough time. I've told it before. Some of you may have heard this. Uh, it was right after September 11th. And I was back at my parents' house when that happened and needed to fly back to California. And I was on a plane, not the first day that the uh, plane started up again, but the second day that the planes began flying. So there was some, you know unsettledness around being in the air <laughs> after that, that day. And um, there was some bad weather, and my plane was delayed taking off from Tennessee, and I was flying, connecting in Houston, and um, I landed in Houston, and I had missed my connecting flight, and so I had to be put on up, up in a hotel in Houston near George Bush International Airport. And at some point in the middle of the night, the power went off and in my hotel. And I, I looked out the window, and it wasn't just the hotel. It seemed to be the airport. It was like everywhere. It was black out there. And, uh, you know, I thought, George Bush International Airport, you know, what a symbolic statement for, as George Bush was president at the time, you know, it's like, what a symbolic act, you know. There's, maybe this is a terrorist, you know, act or something. And, and my mind just went into this 
um, anxiety around what might happen. I even, you know, remember (laughs) thinking about what we would do, you know, all of us getting into the hallway and accumulating in the hallway and, you know, we had no lights. I had my little, you know, glow watch. That, that was how I made it to the bathroom, using my little glow watch. I couldn't find my way around. It's like I envisioned us all in the hallway pressing our little glow watches. I created these incredible scenarios <laughs> in my mind. At some point, wisdom kicked in. It's like, I need to do some metta. I need to do some metta here. And as I started doing the metta, what was so interesting to me was that the metta, once I began connecting with the metta, it's like the fear vanished. But the metta was pretty powerful because the metta was connecting to that wish for safety. Not only for myself, but for all beings. And it was, you know, it was so clear to me that the, that wish for safety was the source both of the metta and of the fear. And that the, the fear was a kind of a, an unskillful response to that metta. I mean, unskillful response to that, that wish for safety. That out of that wish for safety could also come this sense of open-heartedness, connection, kindness, compassion for all beings. And if I had had to do something in that situation, if it had been a terrorist attack, from that place of metta, I would have been in much better shape to be of support to other beings. So it, it just was so clear to me that, you know, this, what's underneath our fear, you know, if we can touch into what's underneath, there can be actually something really beautiful there. Whether it's connecting to this truth of uncertainty or connecting to the wish for safety and kindness for all beings. So, you know, the, the, the notion of cutting out our fear or our anxiety and saying this is useless all told, you know, let's just take the knife and excise that part from our, our being. If we go about it in that way, we're not going to see the deeper seed of truth underneath so I often propose a kind of a gentler approach to this. You know, let's just kind of look around the edges, see what you can notice, and um, allow the mindfulness to begin to soften the edges of the state. And you may begin to see something inside that's worth paying attention to in a skillful way. So those are some of my thoughts about those states of mind, of anxiety, worry, fear. Any questions or comments from you around this topic? Yeah, in the back end, could you wait for the mic? You mentioned about uh, the tools that you could use. Um, what tools are you talking about? I'm primarily talking about um, mindfulness and turning the attention towards experience instead of um, our usual response to situation and emotion is to be focused out in the world <coughs> towards what's happening out there to try to fix it, to change it, control it, manipulate it, organize it. And what I'm suggesting is that when we're experiencing an emotion, to turn towards the, uh, this is the tool of mindfulness, as turning towards the feeling itself, as opposed to necessarily acting on it. Seeing if you can let go of the thoughts and turn towards the feeling. This is a very, it's a kind of a slow, organic approach to beginning to understand how these states of mind are put together and what's underneath it. Another tool um, that I just mentioned, the, um, the tool of, of, mind, of, of kindness, of loving kindness, actually directing our attention towards kindness, which is what I did um, that night at the airport. I, uh, I just started, instead of letting my mind run amok with um, 
fears and projections of what people would be doing if it were a terrorist attack. I directed my thoughts consciously towards wishing all beings happiness and safety. May all beings be happy. May all beings be safe. May all beings be free from fear. May all beings be free from anxiety. May all beings be free from suffering. Um, consciously directing my thoughts in that direction. So um, uh, those are just a couple of the tools. There's, um, If you come here um, from time to time, you might hear some more, <laughs> some more kinds of tools. But the main one that we teach here is the mindfulness. And there's a lot of different um, skills that we learn around mindfulness. Acceptance, patience, um, openness, connection, all of those are cultivated uh, along with that turning towards our experience. Yeah, Mary. I hate to talk twice in the day, but that was a beautiful story. The airport story. <laughs> and this really doesn't have much to do with maybe our practice, but I can't help sharing it. <clears throat> I remember once in school, a teacher was talking about write a list of the ten biggest fears you've ever had in your life. And then next to that, write how many times did any of those things really happen. <laughs> now, you know, that this, this can be a way to explore this. I mean, essentially with mindfulness, I mean, what we, what we learn with mindfulness is, yes, most of these things are projections of our mind. They're projections of our thoughts. And that's what she was pointing to, you know, that it's... it's, it's constructed in our mind. So it's very much what we're, we're looking at here. Yeah, thank you. I don't, for no particular reason, I'm not... Hold a, it up a little bit. Yes, yeah, for no particular reason, I'm certainly not a published writer. But when it comes to anxiety, worry, and fear, one of the classic syndromes is writer's block. Writer's block. It's kind of a New York Times sort of thing or, you know, play or something where... A woman or man is sitting at a table, peering out the window, typewriter in front of them, or word processor, as the case may be. And writer's block, uh, to me, represents uh, the strangest, maybe the most dysfunctional part of worry and anxiety and fear, which is that it can be immobilizing. Mm -hmm. You know, just when you're Captain Ahab and the great white whale is coming up out of the water directly at you, you simply freeze, if you will. And, and so, any thoughts, if you will, on the immobilizing um, solution, if you will, in quotes? So you're talking about a mental immobilization here, yeah, I think, primarily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, not necessarily the Great White Whale or something, but certainly, you know, uh, you published three good books, and, and you're the talk of the town, and now you're stuck or something, you know. So, you know, I kind of, I kind of get this weekly, you know. <laughs> Every Thursday I have to figure out what I'm going to say. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get immobilized so much, but, you know, I, I think I have something I can offer here. <laughs> and that what I find is that, well, first of all, you know, getting into that immobilized state is like, it's, it's kind of a, a mental... Um, it's not just stopping. You know, the mind is kind of pushing against something and it's not doing anything in... Uh, but it's but it's the mind kind of, kind of going back and forth. Well, what if I do that? No, no, that's no good. You know, it's like, that's a bad idea. Oh, what if I... No, that's a bad idea. So we, you know, we kind of... What I think is most helpful is to stop trying <laughs> at that point. You know, it's kind of like we're coming up against the, the trying itself in a way. And, um, you know, take a walk. <laughs> forget about it. Just forget about it. And, you know, you know, forgetting about it in a way, it's kind of like I take a walk. It's like, oh, 
what about that? I could talk about that. You know, so um, to, to, to stop trying to push against that barrier and just say, hmm, you know, let go. Just stop, stop trying to do anything about it. It, it just seems to free up the, the mind um, and allow something to kind of bubble up from more uh, subconscious or something. It's almost like I think what happens in that state is that the mind is, is so busy thinking that it's blocking whatever nor, you know, processes come up from underneath. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Could you pass the mic over? Oh, actually, this should be the last one. Yeah. Let's say, assume that you're doing practices. Hold it, hold it up, yeah. Just hold it like this. Oh, okay, am I on? There you go. Assume that you're doing practices for quite a number of years, and you still fall into these states of anxiety. And you do. you (laughs) catch yourself right in the midst of something, you go, what the, what is this, is not it, you know? Do you have preferred hooks back to the channel of openness? My preferred hook back is what's happening right now. It's kind of like, I notice a state of anxiety arising. It's like, wow, there's anxiety. It's like leaping on the back of a wild horse. Here's anxiety. What is this like? <laughs> That's my preferred way back. And it, what seems to happen is that it, that very connecting with the experience, like that leaping on the back of the wild horse, it's almost like the mindfulness gets connected with the energy. It's, it's like there's some, often some arising energy within these difficult states. You know, this kind of a feeling of something arising. And if the mindfulness can connect with that energy, it's like it gets energized by that energy. And it, it strengthens even as the other thing weakens. So that, that kind of, just that kind of confidence that we can meet whatever will happen and over time, my confidence in that has gotten pretty strong. So it's just like, oh, yeah, oh, here it is. Okay, let's jump on that horse and see where it goes. And most of the time, it like, whew, because I've caught it pretty quickly, most of the time it fades. Sometimes it has to get pretty extreme before you, oh, wow. <laughs> Somet- yes, yes, yeah. over, over time, it can get extreme, yeah. Mm. And, and it, it gets better as we as we practice, <laughs> we see it more quickly. And we do need to stop now because it's 9.03. So thank you for your attention.